committed to sharing cultural diversity through food. Welcome to El Paso Food Voices. Welcome. I'm Meredith E. Abarca, your hostess for today's episode. El Paso Food Voices explores El Paso, Texas food landscape by gathering food-based stories from our residents. This project offers a taste of a living history that speaks to ethnic and racial cultural connections. If we are what we eat, we are committed to highlighting the food-based culture and history of the city. In this spirit, let's begin our conversation with our guest, Raul Gonzalez, chef and owner of Rulis International Kitchen and the host of the Chuco Cooking Show. Today, we're, we'll be speaking about the concept and practice of culinary sustainability in the context of running a restaurant in our international desert region. Raul, better known as Chef Ruli, welcome to El Paso Food Voices. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I would like just to begin um, by you telling us a little bit about who you are um, for our audience to, to get to know you, those, those of you who have not had a chance to eat your wonderful food at your restaurant. <laughs> um, but most importantly, if you can also tell us um, where does this passion, um, and I'm saying this passion because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a regular at your restaurant, um, where does this passion of food comes from and how long have you been cooking? Okay. Well, I, uh, I grew up here in El Paso, uh, but I was born in Chihuahua. I lived in Ecuador, uh, from the time I was six weeks old to, uh, through kindergarten and then lived in Parral, uh, for a year before moving to El Paso. So, uh, from second grade on up, uh, all my life has been, uh, was here in, in, in El Paso. And I did live in Houston for four years, uh, in my previous life as a uh, private banker. And, um, that was just a great experience. Houston is a great food town, but I remember starting to eat good food when I was probably three, like my earliest memories of eating uh, smoked oysters, angulas, uh, all these little sardines uh, that my my dad used to bring out uh, to watch soccer games, uh, and we were living in, in Ecuador at the time. And so my, my passion for food really began as a toddler, and, um, and I just really enjoyed eating food. Uh, when I was 15, um, I think that's when I really started cooking food. Uh, my dad came home with a basically a sushi uh, making kit. He had the roll. He had different foods, some fish, some surimi, uh, rice, of course. And, and, then, um, and then I just really got into cooking ever since then. Um, but I went to uh, UTEP and got a finance degree. Um, I don't have a culinary training background, uh, but I've been cooking so long and experimenting with everything um, that, you know, now it's been close to 35 years that I've been cooking. So you pick up a few things along the way. And um, the actual, the business side actually helped um, to run the restaurant because I opened that uh, April 28th, 2008. 
Uh, so we're about to turn 13 years old and definitely the business background, uh, helped, uh, you know, go through all those different things, you know, the Goten construction project, you know, three moves, uh, and, and then most recently, of course, COVID. So, so that's, uh, sort of been my, my journey. I look forward to celebrating 13 years, uh, at the restaurant and, um, and many more, hopefully. <laughs> Oh, I hope so. This is it's a great restaurant. We we certainly love having it, and, and and for me, it's a restaurant that is really a neighborhood restaurant because it's right next to my house. It's very close, <laughs> five minutes, and I'm there. Yeah. Um, I've always said that the rule is international. Is is the for me is, and many of us, I suppose, that they go there regularly. It's our our, our Cheers. You remember that show? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it was the '80s. That sometimes you want to go with everybody knows your name. Right. Um, that's the way I feel when I go to international, uh, to, to, to Rulis, to, to, to the restaurant. Uh, people know which is my table. They I don't even have to order what I want to drink because <laughs> people already know that. So it's really wonderful uh, neighborhood. Um, which kind of brings me to, to this idea of neighborhood and, and, and communities and so forth. Um, it, mm-hmm. it, it, in a way, brings me to the central topic that I would like for us to to discuss and, and, and to learn from you as, as a practitioner of, of, of cooking. Um mm-hmm. So the the question that I like that I the topic that we have in mind for today is this idea of like I said of culinary sustainability. Um, this is a term that has been used a lot in in, in food contents, um, particularly to to address um, concerns with the current industrial industrialized food system that it is not sustainable. Um, and speaking with somebody who's been cooking for so long um, and who has referred that I know as cooking as your sen, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I would like. For for you to tell us a little bit, uh, what for you uh, this this notion, this concept of culinary sustainability means in terms of intentions, values, and practices. Well, for starters, you know the big farm, uh, you know big farms, big uh, the big agricultural companies. Um, They've developed and and have used science to increase crop production and um, and and increase uh, uh, the the uh, fertility of of land. They're they're growing stuff where normally things you know shouldn't grow. And uh, I think there's you know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of science behind that, but there's also a lot of lobbying and a lot of politics in that. Um, the, you know, the trend to go back to, to local, um, you know, we've talked about it before this region, um, the way that it, uh, the way that it developed and and the way the history, uh, kind of, uh, molded it, uh, used to be a very, this region used to be very lush with the river running through it, uh, and it could have sustained, you know, a lot of agriculture, but, uh, you know, the river was wild and the international border kept moving, um, you know, basically at the will of the river and, you know, things happened, uh, uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, you know, that led to the, uh, damming of the river and that changed the, agricultural picture, you know, down here in, in, in the El Paso Juarez region. Um, so, you know, fast forward to 2021 and there is not enough 
farming going on to sustain, you know, the population. It's just not possible, you know, the way things are. But there is a uh, there is a growing market and, and there is a growing demand for, you know, more locally produced uh, um, ingredients. Uh, you know, when you produce ingredients that are um, native to the land, they're going to grow the best. And so it really is what the, the farmers and new farmers are doing. And, and they're doing, you know, organic type farming without necessarily getting the organic brand, um, you know, put on there because that costs money for the farmers to do. Uh, but what they're producing is a very high quality, uh, you know, they're, they're producing high quality produce and it's uh, better for the environment. You have less of a footprint, you know, uh, if you buy at a big box store, the produce that you're getting there is probably, you know, uh, traveled 1500 miles if not more um, and so it's not really that fresh when we uh, are able to get fresh produce uh, you know we get it and it's you know 50 miles that it travels so again better for the environment um, better for your body uh, and uh, and we have seen over the past few years just more uh, capacity get built in because I think more restaurants are starting to use, um, you know, the, the locally produced uh, produce and definitely through the pandemic. Uh, actually, this is something that sort of hurt the restaurants in a way uh, that we're counting on that fresh produce because the pandemic uh, caused people to actually sign up for a lot of these farm share programs. And so the farmers were sold out. And so for a while, I mean, I have my own farmers share um, that I get. So I still get that weekly, but I mean, we go through that like in a day, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not enough because all the other producers, um, you know, they, they've, they've gone in. And so uh, again, it's sort of bad, because I can't get that stuff. I'm still getting a lot of mushrooms um, from, you know, from from uh, two of the local growers. Um, and and when the farmers have, you know, anything extra, then I'm able to get that. Uh, but the trend, the positive thing is that there's a lot more people now that are getting those boxes, which means that there's a growing segment of uh, of uh, people that want those products and are searching out those products and, and we're still able to get organic, you know, produce and things like that. So, you know, we always have concentrated on just getting the best ingredient that we can. So, so clearly one of the basic values, principles and practices altogether really is, is to make an effort to do your research to, uh, uh, in, in your case, as a business owner, as a restaurant owner, um, to find and to make connections with locally grown um, uh, uh, producers. Uh, mm -hmm. For those of us who, who do not know, could you give us some examples of who um, um, who are these locally uh, 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 companies or, or, or farmers, as you say? Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the, the, the ingredients? I know you mentioned mushrooms, but what are some of those mushrooms? Um, yeah. Because part of what we want to do here is is 
the more that we know, the more that the right. community know that that I as an individual resident could go to a particular, you know, I want some locally grown mushrooms or locally grown um, uh, lettuce or, or, or something mm-hmm. um, or corn coming up. I'm thinking of summer already. Where, where so so who are the, some of this, 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 this uh, growing community? How do we find about this growing community of locally grown um, uh, uh, farmers that, do, that are doing locally grown and native um, sort of um, products? Right. Uh, well, you have a collective, you have like Desierto Verde, um, and you also have uh, Taylorhood Farms, um, the sort of the the incubator, the people that, that got everything going uh, is now called Desert Spoon Hub. And, and they were the ones that started years ago uh, getting the farmers together and putting together the boxes, uh, you know, for their customers. And, and they've grown quite a bit. You know, they grew from a really small operation um, to the point that they got a grant and they have a warehouse now and, um, you know, and, and, and they're doing, they're doing well. Uh, like I said, unfortunately, everything that they're able to get right now from the local farmers are, uh, is going into their boxes and whatever's kind of left over, you could, uh, go to the farmer's markets. Uh, the, uh, the upper Valley farmer's market is, is operating. Um, the downtown market is about to reopen. Uh, so they're going to be doing that on uh, Saturdays, I think. And um, and, and, and even prior to, to the pandemic, you were starting to see farmers markets pop up on the east side, out in Horizon. Um, and, and, and so this is not just, uh, uh, this is just not uh, located on the west side. You know, you, you have, uh, uh, you have people that, that are looking for uh, the locally produced, um, you know, locally grown produce, uh, and 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 all over the city, and hopefully now, um, because we still, like I said, we still have a lot of good land um, that runs through, uh, you know, on the other side of the Rio Grande, um, and I, I think as more people. Uh, ask for these things, demand these things, then some of these uh, farmers will will start uh, uh, repurposing their land to, to grow some of these items that, that are very popular. And the funny thing is that at the beginning, you know, some of the farmers were thinking that I wanted like fancy produce, you know, fancy this, fancy, you know, carrots or what have you. And I was like, no, I'm like, just grow whatever grows best around here, you know. And if that's tomatoes and cucumbers and onions, then that's what I'll use. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have the idea that if you're using locally grown or organic or something, that it's going to be something, you know, different on the plate. You know, that it's going to uh, be something that you don't recognize or anything like that. But I mean, it's just it's just normal food. You know, we're just using a better ingredient. It's just a better ingredient. That's all it is. So you shouldn't be afraid of it. Uh, you just use it like, you know, you would use any other produce. So. But the farmer's markets will be the best place for, yes. for people to, you know, to, to, to get some of these things. 
Yeah. One thing that I, that I sometimes feel that the people um, get, uh, or the terms get confused, and, 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 and is this idea, the difference between um, locally grown versus native right. um, to the area. Right. Um, how, how do you make this distinction? Because I think there is a distinction between those two. I mean, there's, there's certain things that might, quote unquote, be native to the Chihuahuan Desert. Right. Um, which is where we are located, right? Right. Um, versus things that, well, we can actually grow here even if they're not native. So how, how do how do we right. how do you how we can we tell people or, or teach people how to understand the difference between those two? Well, that really requires a little bit more, you know, more study. Uh, 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 as far as if you want to learn about these things, you're going to have to study these things. Um, you're going to have to look for the information. Obviously, I give some of that information on the Chico Cooking Show. Um, you know, and, and, and I let people know, you know, what, uh, there's, there's one of the episodes that we did at, uh, Keystone and, um, we walked around with, with Michael, the, basically the caretaker there. And, um, you know, and we picked cat's tails and nopalitos. And, and so that was showing everything that was native, uh, to here. And, you know, and, and like people know you can eat nopalitos, but they didn't know about, you know, some of the other, uh, uh, things that we picked. So th that's what native is. And like there's corn that is native to this area. There's asparagus that's native to this area. Um, there's a few things that are native to this area, but like tomatoes and, and, and other things that, um, that grow here now, chilies, things like that. They weren't native to this region in particular. Um, not even native to Hatch. The chilies actually came from more like central Mexico. And as the Spanish kept uh, pushing north, you know, they brought tomatoes. They brought some of those crops that were Mexican, um, you know, or back then, obviously, just Native American. Um, and, and then they basically spread those seeds all the way up you know, um, through, through New Mexico and, you know, and into Colorado. And so now those, uh, so now those things grow very well, you know, hatch chili is known as some of the tastiest chili in the world. Uh, and we also have an episode on that at the, on the Chico cooking show. Um, and, and, and so those things are, are the differentiation between native and locally grown. Now, locally grown, it's just, there's so many things that do well in our region, you know, like pomegranates, but you know, those come from the middle East, but they grow awesome here because we have the same, you know, basically weather, um, same thing with, you know, pistachios, they grow really well in, in the region. Um, and, and they originally came from the middle East as well. So, just because there's so many different parts, uh, um, there's so many, uh, I, I guess, uh, ecosystems around the world that are similar. So we have the Middle East, we have parts of Spain that look a lot like our region, uh, uh, obviously the Middle East that looks like our region. And those things, you know, have flourished here. Uh, back in the early 1600s, the first vineyards were planted um, you know, basically along the Rio Grande and the San Elisario 
uh, area, and those are the oldest vineyards, you know, in um, in North America. Uh, and it was the Mission grape, and they planted it because it reminded them of Spain, and 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 the monks, you know, they needed their wine, and so they planted, you know, grapes and. And they grow very well here. And this used to be a great wine producing region prior um, to uh, the the uh, Prohibition era uh, in, in which, uh, you know, after Prohibition ended, California came out on top and, and they really started producing, uh, uh, you know, amazing wines out of California. But New Mexico is making a comeback. And even Texas, there's a growing region in uh, Lubbock, right around Lubbock, that is very similar to uh, uh, the Rhone area of France. And so they're, they're doing wine out of, out of Texas. That's really good wine. Um, again, because it's all about uh, um, the weather, you know, and the soil, you know, you have similar soils, but you're going to have, obviously, the, what, what they call terroir. And so you can have Texas terroir, you can have French terroir, um, but that's getting geeky into the winemaking things. But, you know, what, what I'm saying is uh, <laughs> there's a lot of things that grow well in this region that, were, was, that wasn't necessarily uh, native to this region. But, um, but yeah, the, the, uh, the, there's more things coming out of the farmers nowadays. Yeah, this your answer uh, sort of addresses a number of, of, of questions that I have. So I, I'm just going to kind of echo some of the things that you already said. Um, but one one of the things that I would like for for audiences to understand or, or for us to, to to think about more critically is that when we're thinking about sustainability in terms of food and we think locally, that doesn't necessarily mean exclusively "quote unquote" native. Because what what I hear you in your answer is how many things that have been from other originating from other places are grown here. So now they have become part of the local flavor, but it, yes. but it, but it, but it, but it really embeds already includes this international uh, connection. Um, because the, the other question that I have is how do we have, and I'm thinking about particularly your restaurant, right? Uh, international kitchen. I've always been fascinated with this idea that it's an international kitchen and we are in a, in a border. Um, so my question, my, my thought was, okay, how do we maintain, um, or how do you produce or provide uh, uh, an effort to, 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 to engage in this culinary um, sustainability, but still, and use as much local, but still have this notion of international. Um, mm -hmm. But I think part of what you answers you said is, well, there are things that have been brought here and acclimated to this, to this region. Mm -hmm. um, is, is that, is that a correct assumption? Definitely. Um, the whole idea behind the name Ruli's International Kitchen was that El Paso is more international than people give it credit for. Or obviously, it's an international border between the U.S. and Mexico. Um, but the history of El Paso, 600 years of history uh, that I go through in the uh, YouTube show, um, it really encompasses you know Native Americans who were here first, and then the Spanish, uh, uh, you know, came through here and they had their European customs, uh, European technique, European uh, uh, 
staples that, that they brought with them. You know, we uh, learned to ranch from the Spain prior to the Spanish coming here. There was no ranching in, in this part of the world. There were no cows. There were no pigs. Uh, there were no chickens. Um, and and so uh, um, after, after that, uh, you know, in, in the 1700s and 1800s, you had, uh, you know, soldiers coming out here, uh, Fort Bliss. You had um, the railroad, which brought Chinese, um, the, just the, the prospect of business brought an influx of Middle Eastern families that, uh, you know, if, if people know their history, they know that uh, in, in the Middle East, the Arabs were tradespeople. They were into commerce. They were into trading. They were business people. And they came you know, to the new world to, to do just that, to, to do business and to speculate. And in El Paso, you have, you know, a huge cluster of uh, families of Middle Eastern descent who uh, own probably 90% of the commercial property in town. Uh, you know, they're either of uh, Jewish descent or they're um, Lebanese descent and and these families are you know sixth generation El Pasoans, um, you know, but their roots are still there. And so that you know when they came over, they brought ingredients, and and so all of that becomes all of that becomes a, a part of our cultural heritage, of our culinary heritage, you know, because now you have people cooking. Chinese and people cooking Middle Eastern and you know you've heard me say before that I think Mexican food is a misnomer it should be called mestizo food because it really took Native American ingredients and and some technique and uh, put it together with you know European techniques European uh, um, ingredients and and then, you know, the way the mestizo people came out of that interaction, well, their food should be mestizo as well. So um, there's there's fusion, for lack of a better word, uh, in just about all cuisines. And if you go regionally, you're going to see certain things that are more popular in some areas than in others. Um, you know, like the flour tortilla, which I have, have talked about uh, a lot. That, you know, that's a Chinese thing. Everybody thinks that it's a Mexican thing. But the fact that it's popular uh, along the states where the railroad runs, the Chinese built the railroads, the Chinese were traveling as they were building, and they were cooking easy recipes. And the Mandarin pancake or the Mandarin crepe is, you know, hot water and flour. And when you make it, you end up with something that looks a lot like a flour tortilla. And what has happened in different states is that they've tweaked the recipe. You know, you take the basic recipe of flour and water, and some will add lard, and some will add, like, you know, baking powder. Or, you know, they, they change it up, and so you have different types of tortillas. But when, when you look at them, you know exactly what you're looking at. Uh, and if you show it to someone from China, they're going to tell you, oh, it's a crepe, you know, or a, a pancake. Uh, 
Um, but you know, the, the, the Mexican, uh, food just gravitated toward that. And the burrito was born and, you know, and, and, and you had, uh, um, you, you have a popularity that is very regional, you know, that, that can be traced to the railroads and, you know, and, and you see those interactions. So, uh, so it is very international because we've always been the pass of the North. And when the railroad came, we became the pass of the East and West. And when you look at maps uh, prior to state borders, what you'll see is that everything spiders out from El Paso. So El Paso is not in the middle of nowhere. It's actually in the middle of everything. You know, it just depends on your perspective. So all those different, all those different cultures, all those different nationalities that have been coming through here, you know, East and West, North and South, they each leave a little bit of themselves here and, uh, you know, and that continues to grow, you know, even as early as the 80s with uh, the Japanese really pumping up their presence in Juarez with maquiladoras, you know, all of a sudden we got sushi in the bo on the border and, and, you know, people are like, you know, how is sushi an El Paso thing? As, and I'll tell them, well, it's actually more of a Juarez thing because that's where they actually worked. And, um, and it became an El Paso thing because this is where, like, some of them lived on this side. You know, Twin Plants, they had operations on both sides. So uh, Juarez was really the ones that took off with it, though, you know. And they were the ones that evolved it. They started putting the cream cheese and the toreados, and they started frying them. And, you know, and, and, and some people go like, oh, my God, that's sacrilege. You know, that you're not supposed to do that to sushi, but you know, it, it is what it is. They're putting their own twist on things. And, and that's what makes like that type of sushi, like what is sushi, you know? And, um, and it's good, you know, I, you know, I enjoy some of it. I don't like cream cheese on it, but you know, I enjoy some of it for sure. But that's how, that's how the international. Yeah, it, it, it really, and I think this really just goes to the core that, um, um, as, as a food scholar, which is you know part of what I, I, I look at food from a from a, an academic or or, or, or reading perspective and, and talking to people and so, and so forth, that I'm not a practitioner in terms of, of making a living selling food as, as as you as you do. But one of the things that I always said that that food to me is fascinating because if we start looking at the origins of food, and if we are what we eat, if we say that food is part of central to our identity, we are really. Um, have multiple roots. Our roots are, are, are just sort mm -hmm. of kind of going in many, many directions all at once. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I think is something that we should not be afraid of, but celebrate. Indeed. Um, you know, and 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 it, it brings a lot of complexities in terms of the cultures and the politics and so forth. I understand that. But but I think if we embrace that we are multi-rooted oh, to yeah. our palate, mm -hmm. Um, we might be, become more open to this notion of internationalness that, 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 that you promote in your food, in, in your restaurant. Um, in our conversation right now, you have mentioned a couple of things in terms of social media. Uh, you talk about a, a YouTube channel, and, and you've mentioned a couple of times the, the Chuko uh, cooking show. Um, and I would like if you can talk to us a little bit about that. And, and also, are these 
you, you have a very strong presence in social media. And my question is, is this something that the pandemic uh, brought about as, as sort of kind of figure out how to, how to stay afloat, how to, how to stay relevant, how to stay, you know, um, in the community, so to speak, um, or it was something that, that you had already been doing prior to the pandemic. Um, so I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the, the, the genesis of, of, of your presence in social media, um, particularly with, with um, the Chuko um, cooking show. And for our audience who might not know, uh, maybe you can even begin by telling us what a Chuko means. Okay, perfect. Well, El Chuco is slang for El Paso. Um, and so it, it, it's, uh, I think it's a term of endearment. Uh, if, if you're an El Pasoan and you hear Chuco, you know, you're going to turn around no matter where you are. And um, the same way they call Chicago Chai Town or, you know, they call Houston H Town. Um, you know, that's, that's the slang that the locals use for El Chuco, for Chuco. So, so my, my show, I, I really used it just because it sounds so cool. Uh, the Chuco cooking show, um, <laughs> I use it and, and I, and I do the Chuco cheesesteak too. And, and I think I just like saying the word because every time I do it's, I smile. So, um, so that's, that's kind of where that came about. Now, the social media presence actually started uh, right, when I st uh, right when I started the restaurant. So uh, about 13 years ago, um, I had friends, I still have friends, uh, in Houston that were, um, that were more on the uh, cutting edge of using technology to promote shows and things like that. And so they sort of got me onto uh, the... the MySpace platform at first, uh, and then I joined Facebook and I opened the page, um, and and from there I knew that it was important uh, to have an online presence, uh, just because everything was was moving towards towards digital. Um, when when the smartphone became a thing, which was when the iPhone actually came out. Um, then that's what started the trend of everybody going to their phones for information. And so I have always had a, a social media presence, uh, you know, with the, with the, with the restaurant and during the pandemic, it became, it became comfort for a lot of people to, you know, scroll through Instagram, scroll through Facebook, uh, you know, people were locked down at the beginning and so they needed things to do. And so I did start the show um, during the pandemic. And again, because people wanted to be entertained uh, on their phones or their computers. And I think the stories about food in our region are entertaining. And so we started um, telling them through videos. Um, lately, it's been more, it's been more cooking. It's been more um, kind of showing off the food a little bit. Uh, but we are going to get back to shooting, um, a little bit more of the longer episodes where we're going out and actually visiting the farmers. Um, you know, we were picking fruits with, uh, grow wild on one of the episodes and, you know, we were out, you know, picking mushrooms with, with the growers. Um, 
you know, so we'll be going, we'll be going to these uh, uh, places that, that, that people don't know exist in El Paso. You know, a lot of people don't know about Highway 28. You know, it's a beautiful drive, but there's so much production. You know, it's, it's really fertile, uh, fertile land, uh, you know, up along the highway, uh, up into Mesilla. So, you know, we go to a lot of places out there. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing more of those shows because they're just they're fun to shoot and they're cool stories. I think, you know, um, if the 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 idea is that if you hear the story, uh, you'll feel more connected to the food and 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 you'll view the food a little bit differently. Uh, you'll view the area a little bit differently and, um, you know, and appreciate you know, what we, what we do have, uh, because El Paso really is an amazing place. And, and I can say that after, you know, I've traveled a little bit, so, uh, um, it's not a bad place to call home and there's, there's a lot of good stuff going on. Um, and, and so through social media, that's the easiest way to let people know about, you know, how great this area is and, uh, definitely keeping, you, you mentioned, you know, remaining relevant um well if you're always creating then you're remaining relevant you know because you're you're not being stuck you know you're not stuck in 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 your ways and so the the menu that we have at the restaurant obviously we can't move that around too much because people go there for what they like and and we can't move that around too much but the features that we do you know, that's where we get to play around in the kitchen. That's where we get to tell a story with food because the whole menu has a story. You know, if, if you know, if you go through it, I, every single item on that menu has a story behind it. Um, and, and we continue to still to tell stories with our features and, you know, and introducing just, you know, new techniques, new ingredients, uh, maybe done a different way, uh, you know, but keeping it fun. Because ultimately, that's that's what it's about. Yeah. So, if, if people um, with you, with the El Chico cooking show, because I've seen a number a number of episodes, um, it is another uh, resource that, that you are providing um, to to further this notion of okay, if, if we're interested in on on this idea of culinary sustainability and and eating locally and and so forth and supporting our community. Um, one way to find out more about where to go buy certain things is, is to watch your show mm-hmm. because a number of episodes are in fact um, featuring our, our, our community, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, our food community here. And as someone who's seen these shows, if we need some, some pick up some techniques on how to prepare a, a mushroom that aligns mushroom that mm-hmm. we, might, we might not even know what it was. We right. never heard of it. Um, I know that not too long ago, you, you made pozole with it. Um, so, so, so there's ways for that. I think both in the restaurant through your media, social media, um, you are helping us um, sort of understand, like you said, understand this community, understand the, the richness of food that we have in this community. Um, I, I think that pretty much covers most of my questions for today. And I think you have given us a lot of information for, for us to go and explore some more of, 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 of our community um, and, and to come and eat at your restaurant. Um, is mm-hmm. there anything else that, that you would like to add in terms of this idea of, of or the value of, of doing our homework, I should say, doing our research and, and eating locally, uh, consuming locally. Um, any other messages that you would like to leave our audience with? 
Uh, yes, actually, I think that um, I think that's one of the one of the reasons that people maybe shy away from from the locally grown or or the organic um, you know the organic label is because they think it's uh, you know it's it's expensive uh, compared to regularly grown produce. And first, the, the, the important thing is that if you're eating canned food, if you're eating processed food, then buying regularly grown produce is a good thing. So you don't have to spend on the organic stuff. If you're making the change from processed food to whole food, um, you know, don't worry too much about the label um, because what you're getting there is much better than, you know, processed. And then if you do have the, if you do have the, the, the means to, to get that organic or to support the local farmers and, and get their, their produce, uh, go to the local farmers first. Uh, they don't have the label, but I can tell you that these guys are growing things the right way. Uh, they're passionate about doing things naturally, and um, and it's good for the economy because then all that money, you know, stays, you know, stays here. And eating well, um, unfortunately, because of the way our economic systems are set up, that's a whole nother show. Um, you know, it's expensive when you can go to a fast food place and and order, you know off the dollar menu for a family of four and spend under, you know, 10 bucks, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, man, you know, I can, I, I can't even, you know, get, you know, avocados for, you know, for 10 bucks. Um, and so a lot of people make the choice to go with the, you know, with the, with the cheaper ingredient, but it's, it's going to be better to spend, and eat better now while people are young and still healthy um, and spend the money now. Because if you don't do that now, if you don't take care of yourself now, it's going to be more expensive to take care of all the health issues that could develop from, you know, uh, an unhealthy diet uh, um, when you're older. And, and then those bills, you know, if, if you think, a, a you know, a grocery bill is expensive, wait till you get you know, some of those medical bills and, 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 and so it's, uh, it's, it's better to take care of yourself now to eat better now, uh, and, and just be healthier. So as you, you know, as you grow, as, as you get older, then you'll have less, you know, less issues, uh, um, because you're, you know, you are what you eat and the better that you, you know, the, 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 the better the ingredient that you put into your body, you know, the, the better the absorption, the better um, that you'll feel. So, um, so I would say just that. You know, if 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 you're looking for, you know, sustainability, if you're looking for, uh, um, you know, longer life, because you know we want to be here as long as possible, enjoy our families as long as possible. So, um, so it really stems, uh, you know, from from that. You know, so you know put good stuff in your body, um, support local, 
um, you know, and 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 learn about the diversity that that is here because then you're going to diversify your palate, your menu, you know, the ingredients that you can use, uh, you know, so more flavors, different things. And, and it's a journey that that's a lot of fun. You know, cooking to me is a lot of fun. Um, you know, I've been doing it for 35 years already and, and I still get excited. You know, I was telling a friend that, you know, there was something that came through my Amazon thing that, you know, I have all this other equipment, but this thing, I was just like, oh, I can use this for this one dish. And to me, it's worth it. My mouth is watering right now thinking of that dish, <laughs> you know, and I can't wait. And I can't wait. <laughs> can't wait to- yeah, I can't wait for that thing to get here because I just want to cook, you know, um, and I want to try. I want to try it because it's going to be, you know, uh, to me, it's a cool process. To me, it's still uh, fun. It's exciting. Um, and and. You know, and, and and if you can't cook, then you can eat. You know, everybody needs to eat. Not everybody can cook. You know, we can do some of the cooking for you. I can teach you some of the techniques through video and things like that. Um, you know, we're we're gonna. I'm I'm definitely gonna stay active on on social media and and trying to bring people things that uh, are entertaining. Um, and if you really do want to go ahead and and get in the kitchen and, you know, and, and do some things, then you'll, you'll get the opportunity to do that as well. And that's it. Well, that, that is, that is a wonderful way of, of closing. Um, and, and bringing this notion to, of, of culinary sustainability, because we often think about the products, we often think about the growers, we think about that, but, but the, the last comment that you just made is that maybe we need to think about this notion also just in terms of our own bodies and our own lifespan, you know, how, how healthy we want to we want to be, so that's yet yet another uh, way to to understand the complexity and the value and importance of of exploring what sustainability means. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you very much. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Um, once again, we would like to thank our guest um, Raúl González, chef and owner of Ruli's International Kitchen, and the host of the Chuco Cooking Show. Uh, make sure you you tune in and watch it. Um, so thank you for sharing your ideas on culinary sustainability um, and how we can work to, at creating and, and, and sustain and having a more sustained uh, food system in our desert city of El Paso, which we all absolutely love. Again, thank you, very thank much. you so much. All righty. Thank you. El Paso Food Voices was created by Meredith E. Abarca, professor of food studies and literature at the University of Texas at El Paso. Produced by Adrian Mesa from UTEP's Creative Studios. Music composed by Jake Jacobs. To learn more about how food practices, memories, and stories shape a city's history, culture, and its character, please visit us at El Paso Food Voices. Thank you.